It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look at muscle weakness, um, all those muscles in the hips and the low back and the glutes, you know, they, they control the motion. And if you have a muscle imbalance or you have weakness in some of those muscles that can, that can create pain. Um, and you look at how people move, you know, are they twisting their back too much? Are they not stabilizing? Are they, uh, you know, are they having these funky movement patterns? There's all these things that you can work on. Um, and I, I go much for, more by the symptoms than I do uh, you know, an MRI study, because, you know, if I have someone do a certain motion and that shoots nerve pain down their leg, I'm going to stop that motion. You know, you don't want to reproduce that. If it causes a little bit of back soreness, eh, that's okay. You can work through that. So a lot of, a lot of physical therapy is knowing, you know, what's, what's acceptable pain and what's unacceptable pain and teaching patients, you know, uh, the difference between good pain and bad pain and, and what you can push through and what you can't push through. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning is the guest for this episode, physical therapist Mark Salomon. Now, Mark is like you. He's a listener of All About Fitness, but maybe a little bit differently, he has a background in mechanical engineering. He originally went to school for mechanical engineering but ended up becoming a physical therapist. Not only that, but he recently wrote a book called Does It Hurt When I Do This? An Irreverent Guide to Understanding Injury Prevention and Rehabilitation. Mark wrote the book because he wanted to provide a resource for helping people understand how their body works and what they can do to remain injury-free. Right, that's a big concern. I, recently, I, I interviewed uh, athletic trainer Jerry uh, Jerry Driefel about that. I mean, that's a big goal. If you like to be active, and who doesn't? No matter your favorite activity, there's always a risk of getting banged up, of getting slightly injured. But there are things that we can do in exercise and, and, and warming up and getting ready for activity. There are things that we can do that can really reduce that risk of injury. And that's very important throughout the aging process, even when we're younger, right? But honestly, I remember being in my early 20s, basically get out of the car, kind of shake your arms a little bit, move your legs around, and you go play 90 or 80 minutes of rugby. And that was it. Maybe a little bit of warm-up to get ready for it. But now it's much different, and we all can appreciate that. But that's why I wanted to have Mark on. Uh, As I mentioned, he's a listener. He reached out to me and said, hey, I'm a physical therapist. I have this book. And we, he is on the podcast. So I want to bring to you a listener just like you, Mark Solomon, physical therapist and author of the book, Does It Hurt When I Do This? An Irreverent Guide to Understanding Injury Prevention and Rehabilitation. Today on All About Fitness, we're speaking with Mark Mark Solomon. I almost said Mark Therapist. <laughs> we're speaking with Mark Solomon. He's a physical therapist and, and author of the book, Does It Hurt When I Do This? I love this title, An Irreverent Guide to Understanding Injury, Injury Prevention, and Rehabilitation. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. 
Now, what we're talking about this, you're a physical therapist, but you also do what? Like, what, what's one of your hobbies that, that you enjoy doing? Uh, well, I like humor writing. I, I love comedy. I love, uh, I grew up reading Dave Barry and, and listening to Click and Clack, the Car Talk Brothers. And uh, I love applying humor to serious subjects, uh, giving good advice while making people laugh. Um, I do it in the clinic all the time. You know, humor is a powerful tool to make people feel better. Um, you know, people don't come to therapy because they feel great and they're in a good mood. You know, they're hurting, they're injured, they can't work, they can't pick up their kids. You know, they're they're pretty grumpy. You know, and and I found, and it's been shown in research too. There's a high correlation between laughter and humor and uh, health and well-being and healing. And um, you know, if you can if you can make someone laugh for a couple seconds and help them forget about their pain. Uh, help them like to come to therapy, you know, it helps them buy into what you're trying to uh, teach them. Uh, it's a really powerful tool. So it, it's, it's, uh, I love it. It's a great combination. Now, have you ever tried any stand up? Have you ever tried to, to do an open mic or anything prepared for that? No, never. Uh, mainly because I'm scared to death of it. <laughs> yeah, right. I, and I've thought about it. The only reason why I've thought about it is I have no desire to, to try to matriculate into being a comedian. But I look at it as, to that point, I look at it as a fear of like, can I come up with three to five minutes? And as somebody, I can speak for six hours at a time about exercise. That's probably easy for me. But can I engage an audience in a different way, in a different format? And you're right, I use humor a lot to try to teach lessons about exercise science. But when I shift back to, to your background real quick, because I, I was fascinated by this. What's your undergrad degree in? Uh, mechanical engineering. Mechanical engineering. I started as an engineer, and um, I've always been interested in the medical end of things, though. You know, I grew up playing sports and, and training, and I was always interested in the human body as a machine, you know, and I was looking for ways to apply mechanical engineering to the human body. And, uh, you know, I tried different things. I took some classes in prosthetic design and biomedical engineering. And hmm. one summer, I just volunteered at a PT clinic, and uh, that was it. I thought, this is what I want to do, you know, just being in a clinic, helping people, being up and around. And uh, I just loved it. So um, yeah, I thought it was kind of unusual, but actually when I got out of school, I, I've met several orthopedic surgeons who used to be mechanical engineers before they went to medical school. I mean, the human body is, is, a, is a machine, you know, it's a mechanical machine with levers and pulleys and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, all those, all those concepts carry over. And um, what I found, uh, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize the human body is much more complicated than a man-made machine. Um, you know, I tell people a, a car doesn't have to deal with inflammation, you know, hormones, uh, sleep, mood, all that kind of th thing. Um, you know, the, uh, the human body can be bad and, and human bodies are all different. You know, you get two makes and models of the same car and you can interchange parts and you plug them in, everything fits perfectly, but, but no two human beings are the same. And uh, that just makes it a lot more challenging and a lot more interesting, I think. <clears throat> I love the car analogy. And I hadn't, I hadn't thought about, again, in my world as a personal trainer, I deal with people that if they're, if they're injured, they're coming from, they're making that transition from physical therapy to us. And I always describe myself as I'm a software engineer. When, when, I, look at, when I look at the body, I think of us, and this is one of the ways I use humor when I teach, is I look at I look at the human body as a cybernetic organism, kind of like the Terminator in the movie, the the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Is our muscles and our our muscles, our fascia, our connective tissue, our skeletal? That's the hardware. The nervous system is the operating system. Anytime we move, anytime we uh, anytime we exercise, then we get then, then what happens is we're uploading new software into our system, it, it, into that. And that that's kind of how I use that. But I hadn't you know I've used it, the car analogy too. Mark about your body will fall apart if it's not like a car, but I like that. How do you take? What's your approach when you look at the body? I like you take that mechanical approach. Physical therapy traditionally has looked at one joint at a time, but what's your approach when you start working with a client or a patient? Yeah, I mean, I, I usually start with one joint at a time, especially if it's a specific injury to a joint. Um, but it's very important to, to get the whole body involved, you know. Um, and I have this like in the progressions in my book, you know. I believe that first, you know, you have to you have to strengthen and stretch and restore, nor, you know, normal range of motion with normal strength to whatever joint you're talking about, so that those muscles have the strength to go to the higher level activities, you know. And when when you get to that point where you're talking about getting up, balance and proprioception and, and moving, um, you can strengthen a specific muscle all you want, 
Um, but that doesn't mean you know how to use that muscle, you know? So the muscle has to be strong, number one. And then number two, you, you need to learn how to use it in a functional way. Um, you know, especially with the lower extremities, you know, you're talking ankles and, and hips and knees. Um, you know, it's a, you know, someone could do a hundred reps of leg extensions, but they get up to walk and they have problems. So you got to incorporate, and that all comes down to the mind and the body. You know, people, uh, like you said, the software is up in, up in the mind. Um, and a lot of times you can, uh, it can backfire on people when they think too much. Uh, you know, people sometimes are thinking so much about walking correctly that they're not letting their body do what it naturally knows how to do, you know? So there's that aspect to it also. It's a, it's kind of a balancing act. Well, and that, that's, I learned, so I went through a, a 48, it was a 48 week, week kind of postgraduate fellowship with a fellow by the name of Gary Gray. And I don't know if yeah. you've ever come across oh, yeah. his work. And yeah, Gary, what's that? Oh, yes, I've heard of him. Definitely. Okay. So Gary is a physical therapist and and he kind of, he was the first one to kind of break the mold of joint isolation. To your point, you can't strengthen the knee without the ankle and the hip. And you right. can't strengthen, the, they all work together. So how has physical therapy evolved? You've been a physical therapist since what, the early 1990s, which is a couple of years now. Yeah. How has physical therapy, therapy evolved over the years? Has it changed? How has it changed its approach towards treating a patient who might come in with an injury? Well, the biggest change I've seen is with the research. Um, you know, the research, the, the research that's really applicable to what we do in the clinic has exploded recently. Um, when I started back in 1995, you know, there was research out there, but you'd read these studies and you'd think, you know, what does this really have to do with what I'm doing in the clinic? You know, there were a lot of kind of, kind of academic subjects they were studying. And a lot of what we did in the clinic back then was just based on, you know, hunches, you know, people thought, oh, this seems like a good idea. Let's try this. And yeah, this seems to work. And, and um, people just did things because that's the way it's always been done. But there was no evidence to back it up at that point, you know, and but boy, the last 25 years now, it's a, it's a totally different ballgame. I mean, the research on what we actually do in the clinic uh, has exploded and uh, we're, we're gaining real data and evidence for you know, showing a lot of the things that we do really work, but then showing some of the stuff that we do that, man, eh, don't seem to do much at all. You know, we just do them because everyone's always done them, you know? So it's really fantastic. I mean, that's, that's the biggest change I've seen over the last 25 years. And what, and if, if I can ask, like, what's been, like, if you give an example, like looking at, at a course of treatment, and, and I say this with, with, with the, the caveat, and I, and I know you've listened to the podcast before, is that it doesn't apply to everybody. That that's a challenge when you look at something like physical therapy or exercise science research. When you make a general statement, it can't. It doesn't apply to everybody. But in your experience, what is what's something that has changed? Where once upon a time you used to do A, and now you're going well. Maybe that didn't work, so now we're doing B. Ah, uh, that's a really good question. Would it, would it be like a joint, like the knee? Would it be like the shoulder? Would it be? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about uh, just pops to mind is low back injuries with with something like traction, you know, mechanical traction. Um, you know, years ago, a lot of people did did you know mechanical traction or inversion tables, and it was pretty much assumed uh, that it that it worked because it made sense that it would work. Um, now that there's a lot of research on it, it does work for some people, you know, but it doesn't you know for for a large group of people, it doesn't it doesn't really seem to have any major effect on outcomes. However, uh, it feels good for a lot of people, and uh, you know that's important. And for a certain percentage of people, it has been shown to to improve outcomes. So you have to, again, with any kind of research, like you said, it's not black and white. The same for everybody, you know. And anytime a research study comes out, and I read it, you can't just accept it, you know, without analyzing, you know, the the you know the research methods and the sample size and the and the uh, how they analyze the data and all that kind of stuff. And if something, if something comes out in the research uh, that I get a gut feeling about that doesn't seem right, I think to myself, well, you know, I'm going to pay attention to that, but I'm going to keep, you know, an eye open because it seems like that's something that needs to be looked into further. You know, there's never a, a final answer with research. You're always going towards, towards the truth, but it seems like you're never quite there. You're always learning. And there's always, there's always room for something to be shown uh, you know, different than what we thought it was before. You summed it up perfectly, man. And I think 
one of my favorite lines in almost every study you read is more evidence is required or more, you know, we need, we need, we need to explore this. You know, we, we, we observe this in this situation, but you know, we, there needs to be more. It's almost every study has a line. You know what I'm talking about? has that line in there. Like this is what we saw in this group, in this study. However, more data needs to be collected in order for us to get a better picture. So let's talk about, let's stay with low backs for a second. Cause I love the fact you brought that up as an injury point. And as somebody who 20 something years ago had a surgery due to rugby on my low back, it's been a, it's actually the only time my low back really hurts, Mark, is if I spend too much time being seated or, or like, you know, if I don't get up and move, if I move, I'm fine. If I sit in an airplane seat for 12 hours, which I haven't done in a long time, <laughs> if I sit in an airplane seat for 12 hours flying to Asia or flying somewhere else, you know, my back is crushed for a few days. So talk a little bit about some, some possible, again, it's not for everybody, but talk a little bit about what could be some possible mechanisms of low back injury. And so people can get to the point of where they don't have to come in says it hurts when I do this. You know, <laughs> what are some common, what are, what are some common mechanisms of low back injury from your point of view and your experience that people might pay attention to so they can avoid it? Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you say that because sitting, uh, you know, if you look at how we evolved as a species, we didn't really evolve to sit all day. You know, animals move, they move all day long. And, uh, Human beings spend a lot of time sitting in chairs, and that's really not natural. If you look at the at the position of your low back when you're sitting, it's in a bent position, and it's it's the same position you would have if you were bending forward, picking something up off the floor. So imagine bending forward, picking something up off the floor, and just staying that in that position all day long. It would kill you, you know? So you're basically in the same position when you sit all day. Um, interesting thing about backs is that there's so many things we can look at in the spine that can cause pain. You know, they're the discs. You can have a herniated disc or a bulge, bulging disc. Um, you know, of course, there's muscles and tendons. You could strain a muscle. Um, there's a lot of nerves in that area. So a nerve could be inflamed or a nerve could be pinched. Um, but the diagnostics don't always match the symptoms. And I have to, this is one place I really educate patients. You know, people come in and say, you know, the MRI said I have a bulging disc and, and they assume that's because that's why their back hurts. And well, sure, they might have a bulging disc, but the truth is they might have had that bulging disc for the last 30 years and not even known it. Uh, they've done MRI studies on large groups of people without any symptoms at all. And a, a high percentage, you know, like almost half of all people walking around with no back pain have herniated discs and they don't even know it. So that herniated disc may or may not be the cause of your back pain. Uh, on the flip side, there are a lot of patients who have severe back pain with ridiculous pain, you know, nerve pain down the leg, uh, and they do an MRI and the MRI looks perfect, you know? So you can't always, the studies are good, but, but they're not a, a cut and dried answer to what's causing your pain. Um, so I tend to look at, you know, I look at the studies, the MRIs and the x-rays, just so I know what, what's in there. Uh, but it's much more important to focus on how the person is moving, um, look at their range of motion, are there, is their back tight or their, are their legs tight? All the leg muscles come up and attach to the pelvis and the pelvis attaches to the spine. So if the legs are tight, that can put a lot of tension on your low back. Um, you look at muscle weakness, um, all those muscles in the hips and the low back and the glutes, you know, they, they control the motion. And if you have a muscle imbalance or you have weakness in some of those muscles that can, that can create pain. Um, and you look at how people move, you know, are they twisting their back too much? Are they not stabilizing? Are they, uh, you know, are they having these funky movement patterns? There's all these things that you can work on. Um, and I, I go much more by the symptoms than I do, uh, you know, an MRI study, because, you know, if I have someone do a certain motion and that shoots nerve pain down their leg, I'm going to stop that motion. You know, you don't want to reproduce that. If it causes a little bit of back soreness, eh, that's okay. You can work through that. So a lot of a lot of physical therapy is knowing, you know, what's what's acceptable pain and what's unacceptable pain and teaching patients, you know, uh, the difference between good pain and bad pain and, and what you can push through and what you can't push through. No, well, that's as you said that that was going to be the next question is talk a little bit about what differentiates between the fact that, OK, that I'm sore. Maybe I overdid it this weekend. Maybe I, I shouldn't have done, you know, three hours of gardening after kicking a soccer ball around with my kid or vice versa. And versus being in pain. How do you describe the difference between discomfort and pain? And what, what, the reason why I ask this is because I want people to realize that, hey, this might be something that you go see somebody about versus thinking, eh, it'll go away in a couple of days. 
Yeah, that's one of the toughest things. Uh, the toughest thing to me about treating patients is no matter how much you talk to them back and forth, you can never get inside someone's head and know exactly what they're feeling. You know, so it's it's so subjective. Um, and there's a definite di difference between good pain and bad pain. And that's the hardest thing because you have all these different personalities. You know, there's people out there who don't tolerate any pain at all. You know, a normal ache and pain that everybody has, they think something's definitely wrong. Hmm. And there's other people who have severe pain and they just push through it, you know, I'll push through it, I'm tough, you know, and that's, you know, no pain, no gain, and they'll push through anything to the point of injuring themselves, you know? So you have to, you have to kind of get to know the patient, kind of learn their personality, kind of feel out, you know, try to figure out exactly what they're feeling. Um, basically, I tell people, you know, soreness is okay, moderate pain is okay, and with backs, it's, you know, moderate pain in the back is okay. Anything shooting down the legs, uh, I tell people it's not okay. You know, don't re don't keep doing anything that causes nerve pain to go down your legs more because something's really hitting the nerve there. And uh, you, you gotta, you know, if you keep doing that, you're gonna keep irritating that more. Um, but again, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to do, educating people. I tell people sharp pain is bad, you know, uh, a dull ache is okay if it's not severe, you know. Um, I tell people through the rehab process, you're going to have some soreness, you know, you, you might have some moderate pain with some of these exercises and that's normal for a while because a lot of people during therapy, they feel worse before they feel better, you know? Um, but again, it's very important to tell them, you know, sharp, severe pain, stop, uh, shooting pain down the legs, stop, um, a little bit of numbness and tingling, you know, that's okay. I tell people, um, it only takes a little bit of pressure on a nerve to cause numbness and tingling. So it's not anything that's going to damage the nerve. So if you're doing an exercise and your, your leg tingles a little bit or your foot tingles, and then you stop the exercise and it goes away right away, that's usually okay. You know, if, if you stop the exercise and your foot stays asleep for two hours, then back off. You know what I mean? It's, it's all a matter of degree. And uh, again, there's no black and white cut and dried things. It's, it's all these rules. And, and that's why it's really important for people to, you know, be with a therapist, at least for a period of time to learn what's good and what's not good. Well, real quick, I want to, I want to slip back just for a second. And I use slip purposely um, because one of the reasons why, Mark, you, you referenced the fact that a lot of people might have disc image, disc uh, issues or disc damage and without knowing about it, without being symptomatic. That's one of the reasons why when I teach core training and I do core training workouts, I don't do crunches. I don't have people lay on the ground and do crunches because that flexion motion, that, that rounding of the spine from my reading the literature can put extra compression on the discs and the perception of strengthening my abdominals isn't worth the, the, the curvature it puts on the spine. In addition, you started out talking a little bit ago about being in that forward flex position while we're seated. So good grief, why do I want to spend time in an exercise class having to do more forward flexion? That's my bias, basically. So my bias is to avoid crunches in workouts based on my understanding of the literature. What, based on your experience with, with the patients in your clinic, based on what you read, are there any one or two exercises that you would recommend like, yeah, maybe we don't need to do that? And again, it's hard to say that for everybody, but just are there any one or two exercises that you wish you could kind of hit the delete button on and remove from, from our comment uh, the way we, we work out in the gym? Yeah, uh, that's a good point. In fact, I when I have patients do crunches, I do a very short cruncher. They're hardly flexing their spine at all. They're basically picking up their shoulder blades and contracting the abs, but they're not flexing all the way up. So I agree with you there. Um, yeah, there's a few things that I tell people to avoid I, with shoulders, especially. Um, I tell people to avoid pressing overhead only because the, the the anatomy of the shoulder, the rotator cuff muscle goes right underneath, you know, the acromion, the bone on top, and it attaches to the humerus underneath. So you have, it's like a rope in between two rocks. If, if you raise your arm, push. Now it's okay to have your arms overhead, but if you're pushing weight overhead, you're jamming that rope in between those two bones and that can cause, you know, wear and tear on that rotator cuff tendon. So, uh, you know, a lot of my patients who want to build up their shoulders, I tell them, you know, you can do upright rows, you can do lateral raises. There's plenty of things you can do from this plane down uh, without pushing overhead. Um, Cause I've known a lot of guys when I was younger, I knew a lot of guys who, who lifted weights all the time and, and were bodybuilders and, and did a lot of overhead presses. And almost every one of those guys ended up with rotator cuff surgery. So 
that's one, you know, that's a big one for me. I, I try to avoid that. Now, pulling lat pull downs are okay, you know, and it's the same position. You're going from up here, but you're pulling down. So you're not jamming it up, you're, you're pulling it down. So that tends to be okay. Um, and as far as low backs go, yeah, I've seen people do try to do some crazy twisting, you know, you get on that uh, Roman chair sideways and you're twisting up laterally and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I've seen people hurt their backs big time doing that kind of stuff. I try to avoid any kind of twisting with the back against resistance is, is really tough. If I were a chiropractor, I would hang out in a gym by the Roman chair, especially a big bodybuilding gym. And just with my, you might not mean not me now, but if you keep doing that, you're going to need me at some point in yeah. the not too distant future. And that's not to make light of it, but I think we get into this mindset of, well, I feel it here. So that way it must be good for me. Right. And that's the experience. Um, and what, what, what the next thing I want to ask is about like, cause you, I love the thing you said about shoulders. Cause yeah, you, that can compress the, the rotator cuff. The same thing with bench press is I have, you know, you're a couple years older than me. I'm in my late forties. Just, I mean, know when you graduate Maryland in 87 and kind of do the math, you're maybe six yeah. or seven years older than me. Um, but when I look at this, do guys our age need to be doing heavy bench press and a lot of head, repetitive heavy bench press? Yeah, that's, that's another thing, you know, and for me, it's age related. When I was younger, I, I, I cared so much about benching 300 pounds. It was like, you know, wow. And, uh, it's funny, the older you get, I mean, you know, your priorities change, you have a family, you have kids, different things are important to you. And at my age now, not only don't I care how much I can bench, I, I can't believe how much I used to care. You know, I think, oh my gosh, why, I cared that much about that. <clears throat> so, um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's one of those things, if you're a competitive lifter and that's your sport and that's what you love to do, I'm not going to tell you not to do it, you know, but there's things you can do because that bench press can cause impingement too. If the shoulder has tight internal rotation, because if you come down towards your chest, you have to internally rotate your shoulders to get it down to the chest area. If you, if you're tight and your shoulders don't internally rotate, you're going to bring it down right on your face basically. So if you're, if the shoulder is doesn't have good internal rotation and you bring it down to your chest, you're rolling that shoulder forward a little bit and impinging the same way you do with pushing overhead. Um, so yeah, if I have people who want to bench heavy, young or old, you know, I'll make sure that they do, you know, the sleeper, <clears throat> sleeper stretch, um, you know, pulling behind the back to get good internal rotation of shoulder, just to protect that shoulder when you're doing heavy bench presses. No, that's right. Yeah, because you can still do it, but there has to be a lot of prehab, prehabilitation, a lot of dynamic warm-up. And the reason why I asked that is to your point, I was giggling a little bit because yeah, in my early 20s, it was all about the bench press, right? It was all about, yeah, it's it's yeah, let's go, it's Monday, it's heavy bench day. And just to let you know, I, I do a, a bench press anonymous meeting. You know, it's been about nine, 12 years, nine, 10 years since my last bench press. We meet every Monday at 630. <laughs> Kidding. But you know, it's like there, there's my attempt at humor. Um yeah, but, you know. But, but you look at that because at one, one point in time, we think, yeah, bench press is where it's at. But the reason why I ask you that, because when you look at the mechanics of the shoulder, when you look at the four joints of the shoulder and you look at the structure, one of the worst things you can do for the shoulder is have it be laying down on a flat board, coming down with a heavy load when the scapula can't rotate around the rib cage. Right. That's why I, you know, that's kind of why I have biased away from that especially if people are sitting at a computer or using their phone a lot during the day. In your experience or your opinion, what, what, could, what could one or two other exercises, rather than sit here and say, don't do that, what could be one or two options that people might be able to do if they still, because again, if you're in your 40s, you don't need, you're not being tested for high school football anymore, I don't think. You, know, right. you just want to be strong and be able to move. What, what other movements could people do that might replace the bench press? Uh, well, you could do flies, you know, cable flies. Pulling straight across is, is good because then your scapula have, have room to move. You're not locked down there, you know? Um, yeah, it's funny about laying on your back. I worked with a therapist who, who laughed at these guys in the gym. He's like, these guys are all pumped up and they're, they're strong and they're, they're, they're all pumped up and ready to work out. And the first thing I do is lie down on their back. <laughs> it's like, what are you lying down for? You know, get up. So yeah, lying on your back and pushing weight isn't the greatest thing for you, but flies are good. Um, I think push-ups are okay, you know, because you're not your scapula aren't locked down there on the board. Uh, you can do close grip push-ups. That's a little bit better. Just get more triceps in there, and you get the chest also. Um, so yeah, I would stick with with flies and, and push-ups. 
Yeah, no, I, I like that answer because you're right. I mean, I think I think people forget the good old fashioned push up, but then too, because you're also getting your your deep core muscles involved, you're getting your hips involved, so you're getting you know the push up becomes, in my opinion, for guys our age, it should be you know you should be able to bang out. I think it'd be more important for somebody our age to bang out 25, 30 good push-ups as opposed to be able to bench press 300 pounds. And at the end of the day, your shoulders and arms are probably going to look very similar, right? I mean, from doing one versus the other. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the push-up is basically a plank while you're moving. So you're getting all that core strengthening. You're getting, like you said, you're getting the hip flexors. Um, and you can do all kinds of variations, wide grip, close grip. Uh, you know, it's a great exercise in you don't need to go anywhere. You don't need a gym. Uh, you can do a push-up anywhere you are. Just drop down and do something. Yeah, and I think it's funny. You know, I, I say this where we obviously had 2020 where everybody had to come up with home solutions. And the early data, I just had a lunch with a, with a colleague of mine the other day who works with one of the equipment companies I consult with. The early data that we're getting, Mark, and this, this the good news is this will keep you busy for a while going forward. I'm, I'm projecting out about six to nine months for you. <laughs> the good news is is people are coming back to the gym. In certain regions where gyms have been opened up for a couple months now as we record this, what's happening is the numbers are at or near pre-COVID levels. And it's actually younger people coming into the gym who didn't have memberships before COVID. These are people who maybe started working out at home during the quarantine period or during the period when things were closed. And they're now coming to the gym and, and they're getting back, they're transitioning from doing workouts at home to doing workouts in the gym. And I kind of irreverently said that whole, well, they'll be your clients, but making that transition for wearing your physical therapist hat, what advice would you have to listeners for people making that transition from, I've been working out at home for a while. I love doing my home fitness, but good grief, I'm ready to get back to the gym and let's start training. Let's, let's start getting back to the gym. What advice would you have that can maybe make that transition a little bit easier and reduce that risk of injury? Yeah, I think the best thing to do would be to hook up with a trainer, you know, at least in the early stages, because especially for those people that never went to a gym before, I think that's really interesting, by the way. And it kind of makes sense when you think about it, you know, COVID happened, everyone was, you know, cooped up in their house and, and going stir crazy. And even people that didn't ever work out probably thought, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm losing my mind. I got to do something. So they probably started doing pushups and stuff like that, which is great. Uh, and then and now, like you said, they're they're they can go out. So they're all, all excited to go to the gym, but, and especially those people, you know, without, without the experience of, of lifting weights, you know, you could go to a gym first time weightlifter and you start doing all these, these exercises with barbells and dumbbells and, and, and then you can't move the next day and you hurt yourself. So, yeah, I think, uh, it should be great for trainers, you know, the personal trainers, uh, I would definitely recommend, hooking up with a personal trainer, at least for the first few weeks, just to get you on the right track, make, make sure you're doing things correctly with good form and, and learn all about how to, how to alternate body parts and cross train and, and, uh, avoid the overtraining injuries. And, and, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure I'm going to see a lot of people in the clinic with, uh, <laughs> with those, those new injuries. Well, and I hadn't even thought about this until you you're, you're talking, Mark, and I'm listening to you talk because you probably had during during quarantine or when, when gyms were closed, you probably had people say, well, I'm, I'm going to use this opportunity. Like a guy I know who, who I do some coaching with, we coach youth rugby, he lost 25 pounds. Another one, you know, my ex-wife's neighbor lost like 40 pounds because they just took the opportunity to like, okay, I'm not traveling. I'm not in my normal routine. Well, shoot, I'll go out and start exercising. Those people didn't have a history of exercise. They started exercising and lost weight. Whereas a lot of people I know, myself included, and I've talked about this on recent episodes, a lot of people uh, who are fit and going to the gym, now all of a sudden they couldn't go to the gym. Yeah, they might have been exercising at home, but because they weren't able to do the same intensity or follow the same routine, we might have gained. <laughs> Even though we're active and we're saying that we're exercising, we might have gained. Ten I never thought about that, about how you probably have two different populations coming out of this. Now let's shift back, let's shift to your book. What was it that, why did you, why did you decide to, to write, does it hurt when I do this? Because again, I love that title and, and what, you know, what, what, what information do you have in there for the reader? Well, I, I decided to write the book. The thing that really prompted it was over the years, I've had a lot of patients who show up. I mean, not every patient, of course, but a lot of patients who come to therapy and by the time they get to me, they're frustrated and they're confused they have an injury, they're not getting better, and they don't know why. You know, some of them have been to three or four different doctors or three or four different therapists, and they're getting a different story from each one, and they're on the internet, 
and they're trying to read on the internet and that's making them even more confused. And, uh, you know, they just want answers. They just want to know what's going on. And when that happens, you know, I listen to their whole story and then I just would take just five minutes and give them a basic, uh, you know, th these are the parts, this is the anatomy, these are the parts, this is how they fit together, this is how they work, this is how, you know, this is, is what happens when they get injured and this is how they heal. And, you know, this is what you can do to facilitate that healing. Very basic fundamentals, nothing fancy. And I can't tell you how many people after I, after I do that, look at me and say, well, that makes total sense. Why didn't anybody ever explain that to me before? You know, and after, and after hearing that line so many times over the years, I thought, you know, what is going on here? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the age we live in, you know, the 24-hour news cycle, uh, the internet age, this constant constant barrage of new, you know, the latest and greatest, the newest, the newest diet, the newest program, the latest app, you know, all these fancy things, everything's high tech, new information. And I think as clinicians, sometimes we forget that our patients don't have that fundamental basic knowledge of the human body that, that we do. And why should they? They didn't go to school for this like we did, you know, um, but it's easy to forget that. I think it's kind of like, it's kind of like a baseball player who gets stuck in a slump, you know, Guy can't hit. He's got all these coaches trying all these fancy techniques and stuff and, and nothing's working. He can't hit. And then all of a sudden, a coach will step in, up and go, you know, you've lost your fundamentals. You know, you forgot the basics that you learned in Little League. Um, and so they fun, there's this dial way back to the basics. And all of a sudden, the guy's hitting again. You know, you see it over and over. And I think that's that's to me is what prompted me to write the book. And, and uh, that's what the book is. It's a <clears throat> It's a dial back from all the constant barrage of the latest information, dialing it all the way back to the very basics so that, so that patients can have a chance to just learn the fundamentals of how the body works. I think that's so important. And, and as you're saying that, what, what occurs to me, how, how often do you hear and, and, and how tired do you hear of somebody coming in like, well, I was looking this up online and I think this might, I mean, because I know that's a big issue. I know we, we tend to self-diagnose with Dr. Google. <laughs> and and it, at what point at what point does that cross at what point does that cross the line from somebody I want to get a little more information about this so I know what to ask versus somebody coming in, well, I read this and this is what I should be doing. How what's your advice if somebody wants to refer to Dr. Google, what what was your advice for the best way to do that? Yeah, that drives me crazy. Um, and it happens all the time and and uh you know, I don't blame patients. I mean, I do the same thing. You know, you, you, you have all this information at your fingertips. Of course, you're going to look stuff up. If you use it the right way and if, if we guide people the right way in the clinic, it, it can be great. You know, people are learning things on the Internet, but you have to, you know, when they tell you what they read, you have to explain to them what it actually means. You know, I mean, things things online are are generic. You know, people write these things. They're not writing it for you personally. They're writing it for, you know, just to get it out there. And um, it's very easy to read something and, and especially diagnoses, you know, you, or, or a symptom, you know, I, you, you have a symptom and you look it up online. Oh my gosh, I have cancer. You know, these, these things will, they'll scare, they'll scare you to death. Um, even, even looking at your own diagnostics before you see the doctor can, can be a frightening thing. One, one of my daughters had an MRI years ago, they were little, and I went in and looked at the MRI report before she saw the doctor. And I, I almost fell over. I'm like, oh my gosh, my little girl, she has all these disc things going on with her back. This is horrible. And it turns out, you know, I went and saw the doc and he said, oh no, no, that's, that's how they read it. You know, that's, it's really small, but the radiologist who dictates the note has to dictate every little thing he sees. And it's, her back looks just the same as every other little girl's back, you know? So it's, it's a little bit, I tell people a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, you know, if, if, and that's what you're getting online. If you go on the internet and look stuff up, you're getting a little bit of knowledge without the background, you know, without the background uh, education to know what you're reading, you know? And, and uh, so I just tell patients, you know, it's okay to look stuff up, but tell me what you read and I'll explain it to you and, and tell you if it's something to worry about or if it's nothing to worry about. Well, to go back to your earlier comment about a study, even if, even if somebody reads something produced by the Harvard, a Harvard Medical Review or something like that, they have to contextualize that it was in that study for those symptoms. And it may not apply to everybody. And, and your struct, you know, our back structures, 
theoretically they're the same, right? Our lumbar discs should theoretically be the same, but after years and years of use, there is going to be different. The body, the structures change based on how they use, on how they're used. And so, yes, we can look at a diagram in a textbook that says the, the spine should look like this, but in reality, when somebody comes to you in the clinic, they... 30, 40, 50 years of calcification and stress and yada, yada, yada creates a much different picture. I just think that people have to realize that. Now, the one thing that I've done as a personal trainer, because it's outside my scope of practice to diagnose an issue, right? I, I cannot, I, I talked earlier about my issue is software. I can help people move better. I can upload new software into the system to help them move better. But if there's a hardware issue, if there's an injury, if it's a joint issue, I refer out or I send them to somebody like you or I send them to, to their doctor and say, hey, you got something going on here. And what I've done is ask them about this or, hey, have your doctor look at this. I don't know for sure what's going on, but ask them to take a look at this. Do you ever get that? Do you ever get people coming to you that, that kind of have that information? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I'm fortunate to work in a practice. We work closely with all our doctors, the doctors and the therapists were, you know, we're right down the hall from each other. And if there's an issue, you know, I can go down there, talk to them, they come over, talk to me. It's a really good setup. And, um, you know, because even as a physical therapist, you know, I'm, I'm qualified to make physical therapy diagnoses, but, you know, all the patients I get are, are referred by the doctor with the medical diagnosis. And um, sometimes you'll be treating someone and, and issues will come up and you'll think to yourself, you know, man, I think something else is going on here. Uh, this isn't quite adding up. Um, so I'll just walk down the hall and talk to the doctor about it and, uh, you know, figure out what to do next, whether it's getting another MRI or looking at something else or, you know, a, a good example is the hip and the low back. Um, that can fool you all the time. I've had so many patients come to me with a hip diagnosis and the problem turned out to be with their low back or vice versa. You know, uh, there's so many structures across both those areas. So, uh, it can really fool you sometimes. And, um, yeah, to, to me, the more eyes on the patient, the better. Uh, and the same thing, we, we work with some trainers in our practice too. And, uh, you know, we, we talk to them, we meet with them about patients. Sometimes when we have patients that are discharged from therapy, we move them into a training program with a trainer and there's just constant communication. And, uh, you know, if they see something that doesn't add up, they'll, they'll bring it to us or they'll go right to the physician. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's really important to take advantage of all the different professionals in a facility uh, because everyone, everyone has their own uh, focus and their own area specialty uh, specialty areas, and um, you know you might you might pick some up something up with one of your patients that the doctor missed, you know, and uh, it's it's really good to work in a place where everybody can talk to each other. Well, I think that's important. It sounds like everybody puts the puts the patient first. Now, I, getting ready to wrap up here in a couple minutes, but I want to. I want to share one of the craziest things I've ever heard, and I don't want you to violate any HIPAA protocols. I don't want you to share any patient names or anything like that, but I'd be interested in a similar story. We're going to kind of swap stories here for a second, but one time when I was a personal trainer, I had a woman come up to me in the gym, and no joke, I'm you know, no, no lie about this. She came up to me. She kind of asked you a question. I'm like, absolutely. She's like, my doctor said I have kidney stones. If I jump rope, will that help me pass a kidney stone? And, and that was my response. I was kind of like, huh? I'm like, I know the shirt on my back says personal trainer. I know I have a name tag on. So yeah, I work here. But I told her, I was like, I'm not qualified to answer that. She kind of got mad at me because I refused to answer that question. I was like, I'm not qualified on any level to answer that question. I, I have no idea, nor would I want to go there. I just, but she came in, she's like, well, jumping up and down, help me pass a kidney stone. And I'm like, I want no part you know, for many levels, no part of that. But that was just, I mean, that's just because in my world, people, people will ask a personal trainer in a gym some advice because they don't want to take the time to go to a doctor. They don't want to take the time to go to the physical therapist. So they say, hey, that guy knows the human body. Let me ask him. I just, I'm just like, I get, yeah, anyway, what, what's like one that, what's one of the outlandish stories that you've had somebody come in, it hurts when I do this, and you're like going, how are you a functioning adult in our society? <laughs> and again, you, you keep it generic as, as possible, please. Oh yeah, that's funny. Um, uh, I've, run, I've run into that situation so many times, and it, most people, you know, it's funny that, that she really pressed you on that, because most people that ask me those kind of questions, they say, 
well, I know you're not the doctor, but I, I want to ask you anyway. And if you can't tell me, that's fine, you know. Um, but yeah, I get those kind of questions all the time. You know, if I jog, is it going to shake my organs loose and all that kind of stuff? Um, but I, I literally had it, it, that one example in the book that I put in there is, is the funniest thing I ever heard. I had a guy uh, who told me that he, you know, he might need back surgery and he was afraid to have back surgery because his cousin had back surgery and the doctor hit the wrong nerve in his low back and the guy's eyeball popped out. Oof. He literally told me that story. And I'm, and there's no way on earth that touching a nerve in your back is going to make someone's eyeball pop out. I don't know, you know, whisper down the lane, how he came up with that's what happened to this guy. But, you know, part of one of the biggest skills you have to develop as a therapist or as a trainer sometimes is, is keeping a straight face. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you these things. And it's like, Oh my gosh. And so, yeah, uh, I spend my days uh, explaining to people that, uh, you know, your eyeball's not going to pop out and your organs aren't going to shake loose and all that kind of stuff. It's hilarious, though. It really is. And, and, and let's let's wrap up with this, talking a little bit about that that process, because a lot of people, and I know some states is different. I know some states, people can go directly to a physical therapist. Other states, you might need to go to a doctor and get a referral to a physical therapist. But just talk a little bit about that process and what maybe a listener could do to kind of make it as seamless as possible to go from, you know, orthopedist to a physical therapist to maybe a trainer to kind of what they can do to really kind of help you. So that when they come to see you, you can get to the root of the problem as quickly, as efficiently as possible. Yeah. It's, it's different in every state and it's kind of confusing. Some states have direct access where you can go right to a therapist without a physician. Other states don't. Uh, the states that do have all different regulations. You know, some states like Vermont, uh, there's almost no rules. You can go to a therapist and they can treat you forever and you never have to go to a doctor. Um, some states like Pennsylvania, you know, you can treat someone direct access for 30 days, then they have to see a doctor. Uh, some states, the insurance won't cover it unless you see a doctor. There's there's different restrictions and rules in every state. So it's a little bit confusing. Um I, I don't I don't practice direct access myself only because, like I said, I work in a place with a lot of terrific doctors and we have a great relationship. And the way I see it, the more eyes on the patient, the better, you know. Um, and, you know, I, as a as a physical therapist, I can't order MRIs or X-rays. And, you know, I'd much rather have some have a patient screened by the doctor first to, to get those things that I'm not qualified to look at out of the way before I see them, you know. Um, I had a doctor tell me one time, he said, I don't know why some therapists want to want to do that, want to take on that headache, because he said, I, I lay awake all night every night thinking about what I might have missed with people, you know, um, and I kind of agree with that. I think the more people that look at the patient, the better. Um, and, it's, you know, it's tough to know what kind of doctor to go to first. But if you have an orthopedic problem, you know, a muscle injury, a musculoskeletal problem, uh, an orthopedic surgeon is 99% of the time who you want to go to. And, uh, They'll diagnose what's going on, and if they if you need therapy, they'll send you right to a physical therapist, and that's that's the most seamless way to do it. I mean, a lot of people like to start with their family doctor, um, which is fine, um, but a lot of times it's just like an extra step. You know, if you have a serious orthopedic injury, they're going to send you to an orthopedic surgeon anyway, so you might as well uh, just go right to the orthopedic surgeon first and go from there. That's usually the best starting point. And that, that, that's very, I mean, that, that can help a lot. I mean, just be able to do that. And I know it can be tough navigating all that because I know too, in some places you might get a prescription for only eight sessions or 10 sessions with a physical therapist and, and you have, have to follow that. I, I realized while I was just checking on the questions I wanted to touch on, and you mentioned this earlier, and I want to circle back to that as we wrap up, what role does inflammation play in, in the healing process? Because you talk about inflammation and I know part of physical therapy is you kind of try to reduce inflammation, but at the same time, inflammation is part of the healing process. So if you could, Mark, talk a little bit about like inflammation and why it's not necessarily a bad thing when it comes to the body healing. Yeah, inflammation is is a necessary thing for healing. It's your one of your body's responses to an injury. Uh, it's, a, it's a biochemical uh, cascade of events that, that starts the healing process. And, uh, you know, normal inflammation starts that healing process and it takes it through and, and uh, it should subside in a few days if it's, if it's normal inflammation that's working the way it should. Uh, the problem comes in when it turns into chronic inflammation, uh, when, it, when it doesn't go away when it's supposed to. 
And then it can cause, you know, and I've seen people who have been inflamed in a, in a joint for months or even years. And uh, you talk to these surgeons who go in and operate on some of these joints, they'll tell you, you, you go in there and what, what should be like a, a layers of muscle and tendon and fascia is just like a, a mass of tissue that's all grown together and it's all red and angry and uh, it can really damage the tissue over time. So, um, you know, I tell people you're, you're going to have inflammation when you get injured. It should start subsiding in a few days as you heal. One of the best ways to get rid of acute inflammation uh, is to do gentle motion. Uh, some studies have shown gentle motion works uh, as well, if not even better than, than uh, anti-inflammatory medications sometimes. So just, you know, nothing hard, nothing that's going to irritate it, but just gently moving the joint uh, really helps that acute inflammation subside and go away the way it's supposed to. Um, but if you have a joint that, that stays inflamed for, for weeks or months, uh, you know, you need to get that checked out. And, and uh, you know, that's when it's important to get some, you know, medication to get the inflammation down and, and really deal with it before it becomes a problem. And again, it goes back to, you know, I have an ache and pain. I don't want to go to the doctor every time something hurts, but so how do I know? Is this something serious or not? And, uh, you know, people get aches and pains all the time. And, uh, you know, I've had people come in, you know, oh, my shoulder started to ache and I just let it go. And, you know, they let it go too long and it turned into a frozen shoulder, you know? Mm -hmm. So I would say normal aches and pains are fine. You can let it go for a while and, and it should subside. But if it goes on more than a couple of weeks, I would go get it checked out because it might, that inflammation is still there and you don't want that to go on too long. You want that to, to get out of there in a, in a few days. Now, as you say that, I find, Mark, I, I played in a rugby tournament a couple of weeks ago and, and it hurts. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, but it was funny. I, I scheduled my, I, I did play an old boys rugby tournament in the beginning of June uh, when, when we we're recording this. And I had scheduled my, um, my annual checkup for right when I got back thinking that I might get banged up a little bit. So if I'm already in the doctor's office, that's not a bad thing. But it was kind of interesting. This is the first time, and it's only the second time I've, I've seen a doctor at Kaiser. I, I started that health insurance last year. And they're like, if you have any injuries or issues, we need to change the appointment. This is just a wellness checkup. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, dang, I don't want to ask about my ribs. Because I got I got drilled on a tackle, and my, my ribs were hurting. And I, on another tackle, I got my wrist bent um, back underneath the player. But the reason why I'm saying this is I would never give this advice to anybody that didn't understand physiology and didn't really know their body because I've been paying attention to these injuries. They're now, I'm now about 15, 16 days out and they've gotten better. And I've really, I've, I've backed down. I haven't been doing a lot of intense exercise the last two and a half weeks. I've been doing a lot of walking, a lot of hiking, a little bit of swimming. And I can feel that every day I'm getting, I'm, I'm healing every day. So the reason why I say that is for listeners is if you know your body and, and you have an acute injury, whether or not you get drilled in the ribs playing a rugby match, that's a different thing. It could be just from playing or from life. It's very important to listen to your body. But I love the fact, because if it was at this point, the reason why I say this, Mark, because if, if it was at this point two weeks, two and a half weeks later, and I wasn't feeling better, I'd be back in the doctor's office tomorrow. You know. But the point is my body's gotten better. So therefore, I'm like, I don't want to take time away from somebody who's really injured, who really might need to go see the doctor. That, that's just kind of that, that mindset. But in, in your opinion, like what would be that time? When should somebody, how long, how long is it, how long is an ache okay versus when should they go, you know what, maybe now's the time I need to make that appointment. Yeah, I mean, I think that the two weeks is a, is a good time frame. And uh, again, that's the, one of the main reasons I wrote this book was that to give people an idea of how the body works. And, and my hope is that if, if people read the book, they'll have an idea, they'll have a better idea in their mind of things like just what you're describing, you know? Something hurts, uh, it's hurt for a couple of weeks, you know, is it getting worse? Is it sharp pain? Um, you know, if, if you understand the body and the physiology a little bit, you'll, you'll be much more comfortable, you know, knowing in your mind whether this is something that you can ignore or you should go get checked out. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, I think that, you know, two, three weeks is a time frame where if something's not going away or if, especially if the pain's getting worse, I would definitely go get it looked at. I wouldn't let it go longer than that. No, that's that's exactly what I want to add. Yeah. Number one, I was asking that for, for, for my purposes. But number two, to make that point to people that, 
hey, it's one thing if you get a little banged up, but just make make sure it's getting better. So what's the name of the book again? Um, what what? Because you also have a blog. You you're also I love the fact that you're a humor writer. But wait, one I want to before I ask that final question, Mark. I do. This is my person, my my curiousness because I grew up in Silver Spring, about three miles away from College Park. I remember going by the College Park uh, University of Maryland College Park campus in the mid '80s and seeing some of the uh, on a Saturday morning maybe going to play sports or going to run errands with my parents and seeing some of the craziness. Because I think I think Maryland was 18 to drink until about 1985 or 1986. What what was it like being uh, being on the Maryland the College Park campus in the mid 80s? I, I'm curious for that. Just because, I don't think I've ever. It's been years since I've talked to somebody that was there in that time frame. Yeah, I, I started there in '82, and that and that's the year they changed it to 18, or they changed it to 21. Uh, the drinking age was 18, just in, until a couple of months before I went there. So I missed it. I couldn't drink. <laughs> but it's it was a it was a it was a fun place. Uh, you know, so close to D.C., so close to Baltimore. Uh, a lot of stuff to do. It was a it was a fun place to go to school. Yeah, no, I, and I had, I had friends uh, when I, when I come I went away to college, but I had friends that were in bands and would do they'd play on the on the on the bars on uh, Route One right there in College Park, and yeah. so I spent some time uh, some time around College Park, but. Okay, I just I had seen I I just have these vivid memories, uh, Mark, of driving by a fraternity house when I was a kid and just seeing stuff all over the lawn, <laughs> and just and thinking it must have been a crazy place to go to school. Yeah, yeah, it was a good time for sure. Well, you're a mechanical engineer, so you're probably a little bit more focused on what you're doing than maybe some of those frat guys. All right, now how do how do people? What's your website and how people? Uh, what what how people find out about your book? Because I would love for people to have that resource. So they know how to at least evaluate their injuries and know when they should when they should be getting them taken care of. Yeah, the book is called Does It Hurt When I Do This? An Irreverent Guide to Understanding Injury Prevention and Rehabilitation. Um, it's uh, Roman and Littlefield is the publisher. And you can order it right from their website if you want. It's Roman, R-O-W-M-A-N dot com. And if you order it from the publisher, there's actually a coupon code for a 30% discount. Uh, the code is capital R L F A N D F three zero. That gets you a thirty percent discount from the Roman.com. It's also on Amazon and all, all other uh, online real retailers. And my website is MarkSalomonPT.com. M A R K S A L A M O N P T dot com. My website has uh, serious advice. It has a humor blog. Um, and, uh, I, and I have a, a link on there for, for questions. If anybody wants to email me, my, my, uh, email link is right on my website. Um, you know, if anybody runs into a specific injury or a question they have about rehab or anything like that, uh, they can always email me and I'll, I'll get back to them. Uh, that would be great. Awesome, Mark. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate what you're doing. I love the fact that you, that you, you wrote this book and, and you did it with a way that makes it's easy to understand. It's easy to follow. And yes, I'm a technical geek, but I was able to pick up a few uh, little tidbits from it as well. So, hey, man, I appreciate your time and I appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much, Pete. This was fun. Thanks a lot for having me on. Well, if you want to learn a little bit more about how your body works, obviously you can buy Mark's book or you can buy my book, Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. And Smarter Workouts, I teach you the different types of tissue in your body between muscle and connective tissue, meaning fascia, the elastic connective tissue. You heard us talking a little bit about that. And Smarter Workouts teaches you the movements that you should be doing in your workout program. Not just exercises where we isolate one muscle or one joint at a time, but movements. Exercises based on movements are one of the most important things you can do to remain injury-free, and Smarter Workouts will teach you how to do that. There's a link down below in the show notes. But that was a great conversation, and I really, like I said in the beginning, and you heard Mark talk about, he is a listener just like you. And if you're out there and you do something in the fitness industry, something that's kind of groundbreaking, you have a book out, and, and trust me, I get enough emails from people out there, so I know you're listening and uh, I know you do that. But really, I look for I look for content, I look for interviews that, that are slightly a different background. And what really struck me when I read Mark's bio and saw that he'd gone from mechanical engineering to being a physical therapist I always, I've known, I've worked with other fitness professionals who have backgrounds in engineering. It's just, it's, the human body is a structure, as you heard us talk about, and the human body is a mechanical system. 
So that's why I was interested in speaking with somebody that had a mechanical engineering background who then went into, anyway, that, that, that was my own personal interest. Point being that if you are a listener, if you as a listener has an idea for, you want to reach out to me and be on the podcast, uh, I'm more than happy to do that. As I always, I'm always interested in how's it different? What's a little bit unique about it? And what can we all learn from the conversation? Because when I have these conversations, I'm thinking about you, the listener. I'm thinking, what what can I draw out of the conversation that can help you learn a little bit more about fitness and exercise? That's my goal for this. And that's I like speaking with physical therapists. And you heard me speak with a couple people recently about that because they can help us remain injury-free so we can go out and enjoy our favorite activities. And that's the whole goal of this podcast. If you want to connect with me, it's All About Fitness Podcast on both Instagram and YouTube. That is All About Fitness Podcast on both Instagram and YouTube. You can check out my blog at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's PeteMcCallFitness.com. My email, get this, this is going to be a tough one, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. And hey, as always, thank you for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.